Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor. And we're so grateful that you guys are with us today. Whether you're joining us in person or in the courtyard or you're watching online, we're grateful to have you. And our hope and prayers that this will become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. And one of the ways, one of the easiest ways that we have to be able to do all three of those are what we call community groups. We also have classes and retreats and conferences and, and all of that. And that's a great way to build community. It's a great way, especially if you're uh, engaging to be able to discover your purpose. It's a great way to grow in your faith. So next Sunday, we're going to have what we call Connection Sunday. We're going to have inflatables and all kinds of things uh, for your kids to be able to do. But we'll also have all of our groups represented. So if you're not in a group or if you're like, oh, I don't really like my group or whatever, uh, then we'd love to, uh, to help you find something that, that works for you. Whether it's a group or whether it's a class that we have going on or a men's retreat or a women's conference or something like that, we'd love to just be able to get you connected. Uh, today, we're going to continue a series that we started last week called No Offense, uh, where we're looking at what do we do as humans, uh, what do we do as, as followers of Jesus, what do we do as people of faith, uh, as it pertains to all the vitriol and the, the, the anger and the, the, the be people being offended in our culture right now. And I think it's probably a hot topic because after last, uh, last week uh, when we started the series, man, I got so many uh, comments, so many people that reach out to me like, hey, man, thank you for the series. Uh, this is going to speak right where I'm at. And so today I believe that it's going to hit all of us. And we're going to actually discern maybe why some of us are, are a little bit easier to offend now. Uh, we get angry a little bit quicker now. Uh, we asked last week how many would say that's true for them, and almost everybody raised their hand. Those who didn't were lying. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to look at, okay, what do we do, uh, practically speaking, to uh, kind of let go of some of the stuff that, that we see or maybe is holding us uh, hostage. But to be able to do that, um, I need your honesty. Okay, so I need you to be completely honest. I'm going to ask you some questions, uh, and I need your honesty here. How many of you would say that you're smarter than the average person? Not the average person you hang around with, but the average person in the world. How many of you are smarter than the average person? Two of you? I got so many comments in my head right now. Okay, I said I need honesty, okay? How many of you would say I'm smarter than the average person? Okay, yes. Hey, I'm from South Carolina, okay? In South Carolina, none of us would raise our hand, but we're in Colorado. The education system's a little bit better. Uh, so, okay, how many of you would say you're a better driver than most people? Anybody say that? Yeah, I can't say that one, so my hand's down on that. How many of you would say, again, this is not like compared to the people you hang out with or the people even in this room. This is compared to most of the world. How many of you would say, I'm probably a better parent or grandparent than most people? Okay, most of the grandparents raise their hand. Um, how many of you would say I'm more sensible than the majority of people right now in our society? Okay, all of your hands, unless you're just crazy, should be raised. How many of you would say, like, I'm a little bit more spiritually in tune? Like, my, my faith uh, process and walk is probably better than most people. Anybody would say that? Okay, guys, again, you're not comparing it to the person next to you. You're comparing it to the rest of the world, okay? You know Jesus, then hopefully you should raise your hand. Um, all of us have something. Okay, all of us have something that we'd say, you know what, I'm better than most people at, or I think I'm right about this aspect of my life. Uh, I've got those things. Let me, let me try to think of at least one. Um, intellect. Okay, I would say that I'm above average uh, 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 when it comes to intellect, and I would say I'm probably, probably pretty far above average with that one based on my degrees and things like that. But don't, don't be too impressed with me. It is really hard work to be this smart. 
It is really hard work to be this good looking. It's really hard work to have these big muscles. It's hard. Like some people are like, wow, Ernest, I'm impressed by you. No one actually ever says that. Uh, but I say, man, if somebody were to say that, I would say it's really hard work. Obviously, you catch my sarcasm, I hope. I hope that's not the clip that they put on social media because then we won't have a church uh, next week. But all of us, say all of us, all of us have something, something that we believe that we're probably better than or that we're more right than the majority of people. And today we're going to kind of talk through that and what that does to us and how that impacts not only ourselves, but how it impacts our relationship with God and other people. Uh, I'm going to challenge you today. Is that okay? Is that okay? In fact, say, Ernest, challenge me today. Okay, so you asked for it. So when I do, then just know. Okay, today we're going to look at a story in, in Scripture um, that we're going to find ourselves in the story. But my guess is we're going to find ourselves in the place of characters that we don't want to be. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. John is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament. Uh, the Gospels were written to talk about the life, the teachings, the miracles, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, there's a lot of people when they start to read the Bible, because you, uh, if, you, if you read it like a typical book, then you start in the beginning, you get a little bit through it, and you're like, what am I reading right now? So if you've ever tried to do that and you just stopped reading the Bible, I would try with one of the Gospels. Uh, my encouragement would be read the Gospel of John. It's my favorite um, because it talks a lot about the brokenness of humanity which we're going to see in this story, but also about the great love and grace of our God. So John chapter 8, let's pick up verse 1. It says this, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So Jesus is having church. He goes to the temple courts, which is where they went to worship God. He sits down. All these people sit down around him. He starts teaching them the word of God. So they're just simply having church. Verse 3, the teachers of the law... And the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. So these religious leaders, they bring in this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. Not they found out she had an adulterous affair, but she was caught in adultery. Okay, so imagine her state right now. She's probably incredibly embarrassed. Her hair is probably a mess. She might be half-dressed. And she's standing there before Jesus and in front of all these other guys. And they've said, hey, we've caught this woman in adultery. Now, to me, that's kind of an interesting story because, like, what are the religious leaders doing peeking in people's windows? Right? Like, they're creepers. You know, like, and, and that early in the morning, like, what do you, was this woman set up? And where's the guy? I mean, it takes two to tango. It takes two to have an adulterous relationship. So where is he? You don't see him at all in this story. And it's such a, it shows really how self-righteous and how prideful this culture was when they're presenting this lady before Jesus. They tried, they're trying to catch him. So verse 4, it says this. And said, they, the, the religious leader said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? See, they're trying to get Jesus to break a law. If they can get Jesus to break one of the Old Testament laws and they can say, See, he's not God. He's not the son of God. Let's kill him as well. They're trying to catch him. And they know that Jesus has a soft heart for people because he's always doing kind things for other people. So they bring this woman thinking, okay, Jesus is going to do something kind for her, but he's going to break the law. And when you read this story, I think it's pretty fascinating because you have to ask the question, were the religious leaders, were they wrong? No. Was this lady caught in adultery? Yes. Does it say in the law of Moses that if you're caught in adultery, you should be killed? 
Yes. In Deuteronomy 22 and Ezekiel chapter 16, it says that if anybody's caught in adultery, they should be stoned to death. They should be killed. So these religious leaders, they're not wrong. Like nothing they're, they're, nothing they're saying here is wrong. And yet I find myself in, in their story. Because for so many years, especially after I became a follower of Christ, for so many years I would catch people doing something wrong. I would hear about somebody doing something wrong. And I would think, well, you now you deserve the consequences. If you did that sin, if you committed that action, if you said those words, then you deserve whatever you get. And I was, I was very happy to be the accuser, the prosecutor, the judge, the jury, all of it in one scenario. Because if you were doing something wrong and I was right, I wanted to point out, I'm right, you're wrong, you deserve whatever the consequences are. And yet this is the exact mentality, the exact heart posture that Jesus is trying to tear down. But, you know, we all deal with this. It's like this graph up here. I'm going to draw some things. I'm doing it here, but we're going to have the graphic up, up on the screen because my staff tells me that I cannot write uh, up here or at all. In fact, Pastor Aaron this morning said it's my goal in life to make sure you never touch another marker. So, Pastor Aaron, here you are. Your goal's failing. Um, so, anyways, okay, so this is kind of the cycle that you and I, we walk through. We say, okay, I'm right. Whatever it is, whatever it is I'm right about. I'm right about politics, I'm right about this situation, I'm right about this person, I'm right about this, this issue, whatever it is, I'm right and you're wrong. When you believe that you're right, then you have this feeling of moral superiority. So you're above them, you're better than them. I'm right, you're wrong, that makes me feel good about myself, makes me feel pity on you. I'm morally superior to whatever it is, whatever the topic is, whatever the issue is, however you chose to vote, whatever you believe about the Supreme Court, whatever it is, if I'm right and you're wrong, then I'm morally superior. When you have that feeling, you become judgmental. You become the judge. I can't believe you would think that. I can't believe you would vote that way. I can't believe you would say that. I can't believe you would act that way. I can't believe, like, why would you do that? Why would someone ever believe this way? I'm right. You're wrong. I'm morally superior to you. Therefore, I am now your judge. And now I'm easily angered and offended by what you do. Because I'm right and you're wrong. I'm now your judge, and now I become easily angered at what you're doing and who you are. I become more offended. I'm easily offended by what you're doing or, or, or who you are. I'll give you a perfect scenario. Yesterday, I was talking with a buddy of mine. We were talking about just driving, and, and, uh, and I'm not the best driver. I'll admit that, but I know when I'm right. And I was telling him the scenario that I was in a few days earlier. We were in two lanes, and we were going down to one lane. And so when you're driving, if you know how to drive, you know you let the person you know, that's trying to merge in, you let them in, and then you go, then the next person, all that. There's some of you that are way too kind, and you let like five people. That's not how you do it. You go let one in, and then you go, and then the next person. So I let this one person in, and this guy in a truck, like I, he, was, he was in a rush or something or whatever, or he didn't like my truck or whatever it was, and man, he almost hit me, and then I'm like, well, I guess I, guess I got to stop now. He goes in front of me, then he starts flipping me off. And I'm like, what the junk? <laughs> like, I'm right. I know how to drive. Dude, you clearly don't know how to drive, and I find myself welling up with anger. I'm like, I want to cut you off, but if I cut you off, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm probably going to apologize anyway. So like, what am I, like, I don't know what to do, but I'm getting angry. Why? Because I'm right. 
you're wrong. And I will judge you for your wrongness. And then I will tell you how right I am. And I'll get angry about it and offended. We walk through this all the time. This happens to most of us all the time. Happens to me all the time. Happens to me with big issues. I mean, whether you're talking about politics or how to raise your kids or finances or theology or whatever, any big issue, if I'm right and you're wrong, I'll let you know. We'll have a conversation about it. Or I'm just going to feel morally superior to you. Like, ah, I wish you knew what I knew or whatever. I do that with the big issues. I do it with small issues. The other day I was playing basketball and uh, there's a group of us, and some, some of you in here play basketball with me. We, we play every Tuesday and Thursday. If anybody wants to play at the rec center, uh, we start at 5 a.m. So if you like to play and you like to get up early, then that's perfect. And we were playing basketball, uh, and uh, I know what I'm not saying I'm the best at basketball, but I know what I'm doing when I play basketball. And this guy was guarding me. I went up for a shot, and he stuck his foot underneath me, under my landing spot. Now, if you play basketball, you're like, what? He did what? If you don't play basketball, you're not following at all with me right now. But he did something wrong. And I landed on him, twisted my ankle, and I couldn't walk. Now, the other guys on the court, they were like, dude, you can't do that. And he's like, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know what I'm doing. And, man, I, like, I felt it coming up in me. I couldn't walk away because I couldn't walk, you know. <laughs> so I'm like, turn my head, you know, and, like, half of them know that I'm pastors. I'm a pastor. And so I'm like, Lord Jesus, help me right now not to kill him, you know. And, but I'm like, I'm right. Like, and I want to be like, dude, if you don't know how to play, don't play. Like, you shouldn't be playing with us. You're, you're, you're old and you don't know what you're doing. Like, I want to say all these things to him that I'm now saying now. This is my therapy session, I guess. Uh, but, but I'm right. You're wrong. I judged you for what you did, even though it was a total accident on his part. And I became angry. And I was offended. We do this all the time. I do this with my wife. We'll be having a conversation and I'll say something and she'll say, oh, I didn't say that. And I'll say, yes, you did. No, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. I have a better memory than you. I know. Guys, that's not something you should ever say to your wife, <laughs> ever. Like, don't be like, this is what I learned at church today, hon. Like, don't do that, okay? But this is what I do. Because if I'm right, I feel superior to you, then I'll judge you, and then I become easily offended, easily angered. If you don't change, if you don't stop doing whatever it is or whatever you chose to vote or whatever, the offense can rise up. But where does, right, where does being right get you? Morally superior. Is that good? I mean, you could be right all the time and you can win every argument and still lose. Right? I mean, you can win the argument but lose the relationship. You can win the fight and lose the heart. Now, Pastor Johnny just talked about, you know, uh, our family ministry and, you know, just trying to give you guys resources and things like that. And I was a youth pastor for a long time and I watched a lot of parents, a lot of parents win the fight and lose the heart in the process. They had to be right. Whatever they're fighting about, they had to be right. And nine times out of 10, the parents were right. And many of them, where did it get them? Broken relationship with their child. They lost the heart of their child because they had to be right all the time. You see, when we have to be right, when we think that we have to be right, we become some of the most judgmental, easily angered and offended people. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't mean you stop being right. You can still be right. You just have to change your heart posture. Like think about Jesus. Jesus was the most right human being. Like Jesus was never wrong. And yet he didn't live his life in judgment. He lived in love 
and in grace. Here's a profound truth about this topic that we find in this story. People don't change by being judged. People change by being loved. People don't change by being judged. They change by being loved. I can't think of a time in my life where I changed who I was or what I was doing because I was being judged. Sure, if I come out of the closet, my wife's like, oh, what are you wearing? That I go back in and I change. But you know, like, I mean, like, like real character things. Like the way that I believe about something or my thoughts or my, my actions, like I don't change those things because somebody's judging me. I actually want to double down and go even harder at that. I change by being loved. This woman was never going to change by the judgment of the religious leaders. She was never going to change by the judgment of Jesus. She ends up changing. How? Look at verse 6 through 8. It says, they were using this question, the religious leaders, as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any, of, any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, we don't know what Jesus was writing. But he sits down, he, he stoops down, he starts writing in the sand. And they're questioning him. So they're wondering, man, what's he doing? So they're standing around. The religious leaders are standing around looking at what he's writing. They're reading what he's writing. He's writing in the sand. He stands up. He's like, all right, if you don't have sin, go ahead, throw it. Oh, I have a few more. Hold on. Most scholars would say that, and tradition says, that Jesus was writing their sins down. Like you religious leaders, you people who think that you're better than this woman, you think that you're right and that she's wrong, you're morally superior. Let me remind you what you've been doing. Let me remind you of your sin. Then he says, if you're without sin, go ahead. Cast the first stone, kill her. We believe that's what he was doing because in verse 9, this is what it says. At this, those who heard begin to go away one at a time, the older one first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. The oldest one first, the most respected one in the group, walked away. And then the next, and the next so there's nobody else but Jesus and this woman. I love verse 10, 11. I love how this passage wraps it up. It says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Imagine this scene. This woman should be dead right now. Based on the Mosaic law, she should be dead. She was committing a sin. She was doing what the law says not to do, and the consequences of that were to be killed. And yet she's not only alive, but no one is condemning her. How do you think she feels? Amazed? Humble? Grateful? This is the other cycle that you and I go through, the... There's that first cycle of I'm right. The second cycle is I'm forgiven. And when you know that you've been forgiven, when you live a life of realizing I also am a sinner, I've also messed up, I've also fallen short of God's glorious standard, I've also made mistakes, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for me, because Jesus chose to die for me, because of that truth, because I've been forgiven, I've received the forgiveness of Christ by asking Jesus into my life, because I've been forgiven, I can now have gratitude. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for God's grace. 
I'm grateful for a second chance. I'm grateful that God didn't condemn me like I like to condemn others. I'm grateful that my God gives me mercy and grace all the time. And when you feel grateful, you're more accepting. You accept people. I'm not saying you change your standards. I'm not saying that you're now saying, well, maybe I'm wrong. You could still be right and walk through this cycle. I'm right about this. The Pharisees were right about the woman. She was caught in adultery. That's wrong. That's sinful. And yet I look at my own life and my own sin, my own mistakes, and I go, and I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven, so therefore I'm grateful. And because I'm grateful, I can accept. Not accept maybe what you believe, not accept maybe what you do, but I can accept you. I can accept you because God made you, because God accepts you, because the king of the universe died for you. And then when you're accepting, you overflow with love. Love is what guides you, not judgment. Love is what dictates how you talk about someone or how you see them or how you choose to respond to them. Love is what guides you in the conversation. Not judgment, not condemnation, not offense, not anger, but love. Why? Because we've been forgiven, which produces this feeling of gratitude, which allows us to then accept people and to love them where they are. Here's the truth. We will rarely help someone by judging their sins. We can help by loving them and pointing to the one who forgives sins. Rarely, if ever, will you change somebody by judging their sins. But you can see transformation in someone if you love them enough and point them to Jesus. I mean, the first time I started going to church and uh, I didn't believe that God existed and I was uh, a labeled alcoholic and I was doing a lot of bad things in my life and uh, a buddy started inviting me to church. And uh, as, I, as I started to go to church, I'm like, I'm gonna prove, I'm gonna affirm my belief about these people. These people, once they get to know me, they're gonna reject me. And so I started going to church. I started doing bad things before church and I started doing bad things at church. I started making it very clear my intentions and my beliefs and all of that, just waiting for them to reject me. And almost any church probably would have rejected me, but this one just kept loving me. It kept loving me and it transformed my life. It changed my eternity, not because of judgment, but because of love. The other day at basketball, there was a, a buddy of mine, I've been playing basketball with him for uh, about two years. And the first conversation I have with people anywhere is not, hey, I'm a pastor, because that gets awkward. Uh, you become like free counseling or the plague. You know, it's like one of the two. And so I, I, I don't, there's a, a, a good bit of the guys that know that I'm a pastor, but we don't ever talk about it or anything like that. And so this guy he comes to basketball, he says, yeah, I found out something about you. I was like, oh, that's creepy. What'd you find out? He's like, uh, you're a... Uh, you're one of those uh, religious guys. I was like, okay. I said, well, what are your thoughts with that? He goes, man, honestly, I don't like religion. And I don't like religious people. I'm like, okay, sounds like a good conversation we're having. <laughs> he said, but thank you. Like, thank you. He said, now that I know what you do, what your beliefs are, I've never felt judged by you. I've only felt accepted by you. And I don't feel that way with a lot of religious people. 
And what's crazy is this guy went and listened to like eight of my messages. He'd been doing a lot of research on me. Like he was telling me things about myself I didn't even know. It's like, really? That's interesting. <laughs> the guy hasn't showed up in church, I don't think ever in his life, but he's watched eight messages. He hasn't given his life to Christ yet. He's not coming to Front Range yet or some other church that loves Jesus and cares about Christ, but he's on a journey. He's only on that journey because me and a few other guys in there that love Christ, we don't judge. We just love. We do what we can to live out our faith, but we just love. And I wonder what it would look like in, in our relationships. I wonder what it would look like in our community. And I wonder what it would look like in our own health if you and I lived out this cycle, the forgiveness cycle. Like if every day we remembered, I'm forgiven. And because I'm forgiven, I'm gonna be grateful today. Sure, there's other things in my life, there's things going on in the world that I could be very upset about and not grateful for and all of that, but I'm gonna to choose today to point out something that I'm grateful to God for because I'm forgiven. And even if it's just that, even if like you can't see anything else, you're like everything else in your life is terrible. And like just going down the tubes, you can be like, and yeah, God still died for me. God still loved me enough to die for my sins. I wonder what it would look like. I wonder if we would let go of some of our anger, if we would let go of some of the offense that so easily comes up inside of us. That when a guy cuts me off driving, I wouldn't respond the way that I did. I wouldn't get angry and offended, but I would live in this state of gratitude. I would say this, I think it's really, really difficult, near impossible, to be really angry and really grateful at the same time. I think the higher your gratitude goes, the lower your anger and your offense goes. It's just a natural piece of that. It's, how, it's how, like how God created things. The more grateful you are, the less you're gonna be offended. So if you're living in a state right now where you're like, man, I, I'm, I really struggle with offense, Ernest. I really struggle with getting angry at, at this person or getting angry at this issue or getting angry at these group of people or those individuals or whatever, raise your gratitude. Because when you raise your gratitude, your offense will lower. It just will. And so this week, I want you to just take inventory. Take inventory this week of two things. Number one, what issue, what person, what group of people do you act like a Pharisee around? Like when this topic comes up or when this person comes around, you become more like the Pharisee than Jesus. You become more judgmental. And you might be right, but it's not getting you anywhere. Take note this week of where you become a Pharisee because all of us have that tendency. And the second thing I would encourage you to do, and I would encourage you to write this one down for sure, is what are you grateful for? What are you grateful for God, for what he's done, what he's given you? And here's what I would say, write it down. And I would say, I mean, I struggle with writing stuff down. And there's times in my life where like God's done something. I'm like, I'll never forget. I don't need to write that down. That's crazy. Like, I'll never forget that. Then years later, somebody's like, remember such and such? I'm like, oh man, I totally forgot that. It's like, that's like that's human nature. I've said this before here where like the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. And the first thing that God does, like God parted the Red Sea and they walked on dry ground. You would think you'll never forget that. And the first thing God says is, hey, set up a monument so you don't forget this. 
Like as humans, we just forget things pretty easily. And so just write down, what are you grateful for? And on those days where you're like, I can't think of a single thing, go back and look at that. Go back and look at that. I wonder what would change. What would change in our relationships? What would change in the community around us? What would change in our own heart if we lived out of a place of forgiveness and gratitude rather than I'm right all the time? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and God, I just thank you for your word. I can't imagine what this woman was walking through. The fact that we even, even today refer to her as the adulterous woman, a label that must have been placed on her by so many, the feelings of rejection and pain. And yet you used her story, God, to not only redeem her, but to redeem us. And so Father, I just pray, I pray for those of us in this place that maybe we feel like she felt like an outcast, unloved, and maybe even unforgivable. There might be some of us in here that came into this place or are watching online that would say, you know what, when I came into this place, man, I felt far from God, very distant from him. Like, how could God ever forgive me for this? Why would God ever choose to forgive me for this? How could God ever love me enough? And yet God today is saying, just come home. What does that mean? It means recognizing what Jesus did on the cross for you, that he died for your sins, not just for one, not just for stuff that you did really bad or the small things, but he died for every one of them so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be saved. So if that's you, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you'd say, man, Ernest, I came into this place feeling far from God, but man, I, I feel this draw to come home. I want to accept Christ. I want to recommit my life to Christ. Maybe you gave your life to Christ years ago, but you've been doing your own thing, walking your own journey. You realize, man, it's just not working for me. I want to give my life over to him or recommit my life to him. If that's you, with every head bowed and eyes closed, just raise your hand. I wonder who I'm praying for. Amen, 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 amen. Father, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. For all the people in this place, if you're watching online, you can just simply text the word follow to the number on the screen. And I just want you to know, if you raise your hand, if you're texting that word right now, I just believe that God's so proud of you. He knows your name. He knows your story. He brought you here for a reason. It's to say, come home. God, thank you for your forgiveness in our lives. Thank you that your grace trumps our greatest sins. I'm so grateful for that truth. May we live out of that gratitude, God. May it transform us, Father, today and forever. It's a people who are forever grateful. Maybe not because the circumstances are great or because things around me are so awesome, but because of your love and your forgiveness. Father, tell us what our next steps are now. In Jesus' name, amen.